0: What's up everyone hope you're doing well today this is rafael garcia here with Sean humes for episode 147 of the mma ratings podcast we are back for year 2020 happy new year to everyone listening to us and checking out our content hope you had a great and safe happy holidays merry christmas kwanzaa hanukkah whatever you may celebrate Hope you had a safe New Year's as well. Uh, enjoyed yourself and brought in the New Year in a way with the people that you care about. Shawn, how was your holidays and what did you get to do?
1: Um, I trained a bunch of kids. I drove a bunch back and forth between East Texas and San Antonio. So just visiting family members, trying to catch up with everybody because usually I'm just so busy with the kids stuff that don't have very much time to see my family. So got to see some family for the most part.
0: Nothing exciting? Nothing exciting at all?
1: No, nah, man. I just, if I wasn't, I was supposed to start grappling again, but the, the, I had kids who wanted to train. So I literally all I did was train kids and do family stuff. That was it.
0: Uh, since you didn't get to do anything exciting during that trip, I guess, and during your time off, we do have some exciting news about changes to our podcast and what we'll be doing starting this year is we're going to be, instead of doing one long show, you know, our shows are usually about 45 minutes, to so hour 10, we're going to break them up into segments to make them easier to consume, posting on YouTube, posting on our channels that we share our content with. So today is the first time we're doing that. So be sure to listen out for all the all the um, segments that we're going up. We have three for today's show. So check out all three segments and be sure to share all of them. And, and give us a uh, subscribe across all of our platforms and make sure you stay up to date with our content. And we'll be, we will also be launching a Patreon sometime in 2020. Uh, for those of you who remember who've been hanging out with Sean and I for a while now, you know that we used to do a lot of interviews with people like um, who we had on so far, Sean. We had like T.P. Grant on. We had a couple of coaches T.P. Grant. On.
1: We had um, I forgot Justin Gaethje's coach's name. Trevor Whitman. We had Marcus Davis on there. Had um. Arlene Sanchez, former coach of Nico Montagna, current coach of Tim Means, former coach of Carlos, um, Carlos Condit. We had Stephen Wright, former coach of Johnny Hendricks and Amaro uh, Usman. So quite a few people, a lot of coaches, a lot of, a lot of people giving us some insight from the behind the scenes and how they set up the fighters and noticing the trends with organizations and the trends in fighting styles and techniques.
0: Yeah, so we've had some good names on um, this show, and they've usually been some of our more, more popular episodes, so what we're going to be doing is taking that um, that interview series and putting it uh, within Patreon, where you can uh, let us, you can kind of dictate how much money you want to uh, donate or subscribe to our channel, for lack of a better term. We'll put more information <laughs> about that out there as you begin to launch it, but Keep an eye out for that because we do definitely do some um, in-depth interviews with names from across the industry. And it won't just be MMA, but we may grab some professional wrestlers in there, some professional grapplers as well. So people who know the sport, people who want to talk about uh, MMA and combat sports as a whole. So keep a close eye to probably the the Twitter and, and our website to get some more information about that as we get ready to launch. But uh, tonight we have, as I mentioned, we have three segments to talk about today. We're going to be talking about storylines heading into UFC 246. We're going to be talking about news from around the MMA industry and also looking back to 2019 and giving you some thoughts on some of the high points of the year. So the first segment, round one, we're going to be talking about storylines heading into UFC 246. And when we talk about UFC 246, which is next weekend on January 18th. Only thing we're really talking about there is Conor McGregor versus Donald Cerrone, because if you look at that card, nothing else really matters. Their only other name value really on that card is Anthony Pettis, who's fighting in the co-main event. So anyone who's going to be talking about UFC 246 is going to be talking about the main event, McGregor versus Cerrone, and there's quite a lot to talk about there. So Shawana and I are going to dive into that first. And the first thing I wanted to talk about here was the idea that Donald Cerrone is being looked at as a perfect matchup for McGregor. Now, I wrote about this last week. I believe that's when the post went up because there's been kind of some conspiracy theories per se. And Donald Cerrone actually had to address this, make a public statement that he's been, that there's a potential that he's been paid to quote unquote, take a dive. And he addressed that, you know, saying that, you know, it's an insult that he'd never be one to take a dive, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, what people need to understand is that while Cerrone may not be looked at as someone who would ever take a dive in a professional fight like that, not alone if you look at the ramifications of if someone did that, you also have to know that this is a perfect style matchup for Conor McGregor, which is different than saying so-and-so is fixing said fight. So, Shawan, let's start there. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the style of matchup and why Cerrone is such a perfect uh, opponent for McGregor at this point in time in both of their careers.
1: I will jump right into that. But just to do the card justice, it's not a big name card with a lot of big male fights. But there are a lot of big WMMA fights that will be occurring on this card. Not saying we're addressing them, but you're, just to make sure actually, the women you know get what? their love.
0: You're 100% right. Yeah, I'm, I'm 100% wrong about that. I forgot about the Macy Barber, Roxanne Martafari fight. I forgot about the Claudia. Home uh, um, right. Red- Pennington. Derea and
1: Alexa and Grasso. Grasso. Yeah, I forgot home about Pennington.
0: that fight. Um, home Pennington. Home- so man, I okay, so I was wrong. Um, There are some big women's fight on this card. And uh, Sabina Maisel, she's also on it, too. So yeah, maybe we'll talk about those fights when we do our preview next week. Um, I just want to make, yeah, make sure because
1: you know, you know, you come out and say it's a weak card, and they have big a b- bunch of big female fights. You're setting yourself up for something on Twitter.
0: You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Well, we will definitely do some um, in-depth previews of those next week. I I actually totally forgot about that. So yeah, we'll cover all. Of, I'm, I'm I'm actually writing a piece about Macy Barber for this week as well too. So we'll keep a close eye on all of those. So yeah, you're right.
1: Okay, now now back to the fight at hand. I see why some people say Conor. They say Donald might take a take a dive for it, but the fact of the matter is that's the most insulting thing you could say to a fighter. And what they're mistaking, what they're mistaking for a dive, or what they're thinking could be a dive, is really, like you said, it's just a matchup that, on paper, based on what we know of both fighters, favors Conor McGregor in a winning in a very dynamic fashion. Not because Cowboy Cerrone isn't a good fighter. He's still top 10, top 15-ish type fighter. And the fact of the matter is the only two guys he's lost to are the number three, or the number two, and the number three guy in the division. So one of those guys, it was a very competitive fight that the ref had to stop. The other guy, he just got wiped out by. But the fact of the matter is, in his last two fights, he's two and two. And the only guys he's lost to are the top two, three guys, two three guys in the division. So those losses aren't like normal losses. That's not like losing to... Nate Diaz. It's not like losing to Anthony Pettis. These are guys who were considered elite in their division. In the case of Tony Ferguson, he's a guy who hasn't lost in, what, two years? Two, three years, possibly? And then Justin Gaethje hasn't lost in almost a year and a half and has pretty much knocked everybody out in the first round. So those losses aren't losses that reflect badly on his skill set or reflect badly on him as a fighter. But nonetheless, this is a favorable matchup for Conor McGregor because, once again, it is a stand-up fighter. Secondly, Cowboy Cerrone has never had the greatest chin, and now his recuperative abilities are a little bit faded. And, and thirdly, Cowboy da- Cerrone has always had issues with guys who attack the body, which is a staple of Conor McGregor's fight style. Those three things lead to what most people would say will be an easy fight for Conor McGregor. Now, I, I don't think it'll necessarily be easy, but I think it'll be a, a pretty spectacular win in his favor. The only factor that you play in on Donald's side is Donald is a great grappler. He's very good grappling, submissions, just controlling guys, working ground and pound from the ground. And that could be a threat to Conor. Conor has been tapped before. But once again, Conor hasn't been tapped by guys who can't grapple. Nate Diaz is still considered maybe not an elite grappler, but he's a very good grappler. He's finished a lot of very good, very well-schooled fighters. And in the case of Cowboy getting the fight to where he wants it to be, on the ground, even though Connor didn't look great against Khabib, you have to people have to admit, Khabib had a lot more trouble taking Connor down than they thought he would. Khabib had a lot more trouble. He could ha- get getting a submission and even landing ground and pound than they thought he would. And Con- Connor worked his way back to the feet more than a c- couple times. So we can't assume that Cowboy's just going not come out, take him down, and control him. If Khabib was having trouble controlling you, and Khabib's having to go to chain takedowns together to get you down, that tells me Connor that Cowboys Roney is going to also have troubles getting takedowns, much less getting in position to get the takedown. So it's not a fight that I would think a dive would be present. It's just a fight that matches up so favorably for Connor that a lot of people are going already to, oh, with a dive. He's been paid off. He's not being paid off. He's getting paid a lot of money for this fight. Cowboy's a very proud guy. It's just a bad stylistic matchup. Not one he can't win, but one that he has a very slim margin of error for to win.
0: So... Let's go from there because I want to talk about a few things that you mentioned there. So what I've actually been thinking about first before we dive into that is let's talk about how these two guys start fights because you see a lot of people talking about this fight will end in the first round. And we know that Donald Cerrone is a habitual slow starter. Um, you saw when Robbie Lawler fought him, he jumped on him right out the gate and, and tried to get him out there. He didn't, but he, <clears throat> that first round played a big part in him getting that victory there. We saw Rafael Dos Anjos. Rafael Dos jumped on him from the very start. Um, so did Anthony Pettis. Is this a fight here where we can expect to see Conor McGregor to be more aggressive? Because he's not... He's not aggressive in that way that he tries to overwhelm people. If you look at what he did to Josie Aldo, what he did to Eddie um, Alvarez, what he's done to other fighters, is he lets you overextend yourself so he can uh, pick you apart from there. If Donald Cerrone isn't a going to start quickly, who does that play more of a favor to? Is it more of a favor for McGregor or more of a favor for Donald?
1: Well, the thing about it is you're right. Conor doesn't really, he tries to march guys down, but in marching guys down, like Nate Diaz comes out throwing a lot of volume. Uh, Rafael Desano throws a lot of volume, generates a lot of pressure. Conor McGregor uses a longer stance, uses his long weapons, his jab, his reach to kind of feel the distance, and he slowly begins to walk you down. He kind of moves in and out. He, he's not a guy who just jumps on you. The thing that where Conor is a fast starter is, you give him an opening, he will take full advantage of it. But he's not just going to come and walk it, put all sorts of pressure on you, just get in your face right away. He's not a guy who just comes out there throwing a bunch of volume or spinning kicks. He, he gets out there, he aggressively comes, but he comes with deliberate aggression. So in the fact that he's going to be kind of, kind of finding his rhythm and finding his spacing and the fact that he hasn't fought in a while, that might give Donald Cowboy Cerrone just enough time to kind of acclimate himself and get through the round safely. The only problem is Connor is known for being a very sharp counter puncher. So it's very likely he could do something similar to what Justin Gaethje did, which is land a quick shot, put him away, and that's it. That's very likely because he's just always been a sharpshooter. It depends on how sharp he is, how good his sparring has been, and how really focused he is in being prepared for this fight. Because if he thinks it's just going to be a walkthrough, he's going to let Cowboy Cerrone make it through the round. And if Cowboy Cerrone makes it through the round, now we might have some serious problems. If he can get his feet underneath him and make it through the round. The other problem you haven't talked about is when Cowboy starts fast, his defense tends to be a little shaky, and he can't afford a shaky defense against a guy who likes to punish to the body and a guy who is a super sharp shooting counter puncher. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a mix. Is Cowboy going to come out fast, try to assert himself, and walk, walk into something big? Or is Connor going to give Cowboy a little bit of time so we can acclimate himself and then get through the next rounds and make it competitive? It, it's very interesting to see how this fight starts off.
0: So let me ask you this. How how do you see the fight going from a finish standpoint? And how does that change if we get to the second and, and third round? Does getting to those rounds change your opinion on who comes out the victor?
1: No, those don't change because if you're not, if you, people who don't like body punches, nobody likes body punches. People don't like body punches, don't like body punches. You don't get older with more tread on your tire. And get better at taking body punches. That's, that's not how this works. So that's always going to be a weakness for Cal. That's always going to be a weakness for Donald. Everybody's exploited him to the body. Nate, uh, uh, Rafael, it, just anybody who's fought him has exploited him to the body. And the only thing to matter, the issue of getting past the first round, it, it, I can't even say the cardio is an issue with Connor because Connor went four hard rounds against Khabib, where Khabib was in points dominating him positionally. And even though he looked tired, He wasn't dead tired. He wasn't Michael Johnson tired. He wasn't Dustin Poirier tired. I can't do nothing. I can't get up. I can't defend anything. He was competent in what he was doing throughout the fight. He was just getting out work. So the only thing that I say is the fight goes longer, it's going to allow Donald to warm up to where he'll start using the leg kicks because Connor's a little bit open for those. It allows him to kind of put his combinations together. It allows him to kind of set up takedowns with his strikes instead of just being – out of desperation, if the fight goes longer, his confidence grows. He gets his timing down. He starts asserting himself. But whenever Cowboy starts asserting himself, that's when he starts getting beat the fuck up because his defense just isn't there anymore. His reaction isn't there, and he tends to not move his feet enough. So the, if he comes out hard to, to land his offense, he's walk, he's doing what Connor wants. He's giving Connor op- counter opportunities. If he gets through the first round and starts building on his confidence. Then he's going to come out hard and start throwing more, which also opens him up for counters for Connor. If I knew the Cowboys chin and body could hold up, I could very well pick him because he's got enough tools and enough seasoning and enough experience where he could create situations to put Connor in trouble. But the fact of the matter is he has not taken a lot of shots well, and he's been taking a hell of five beating. That time of welterweight was good for him because he's a little bit quicker. He's fighting worn down guys and less experienced guys. But it was bad for him because every single one of those welterweight fights, except for the fight with, with uh, Mike Perry, he took huge beatings in. So he's kind of had the world-class beaten out of him, and whatever durability he's had isn't there anymore. If Connor doesn't ice him quickly, it's more about Connor's timing and not landing the right shots more than it is about Cowboy's chin. Because Cowboy took punishment for Rick Story. He took it for Jorge Masvidal. He took it for Matt Brown. He took it for Alex Hernandez. He took it for Tony Ferguson. He took it for Justin Gaethje. In the last 6-7 fights, he's taken tremendous beatings, and he was never that durable to begin with.
0: So let's talk about something you just said there, if, if McGregor doesn't put him away. If he struggles in this fight, what does that mean for him? Because I want to use that to talk about the next, uh, the next bit of this round in a second. Uh, but if he struggles in this fight, let's say he goes three rounds and he maybe loses one round or he looks like exceptionally tired in, in the third round. If he struggles, what does this mean for him and his stock
1: uh, for the UFC? I'm going to sound like a Conor fan when I say this, but I'm just stating facts. Connor in between fighting Khabib, he was how, how long was he off? Two years? And then he's fighting Cowboy, he's, off, he's been off a year. In his two years off, he looked better against Khabib than Dustin Poirier, who was on like a five-fight win streak look. Sure. Off two years of no action. So if he comes against Donald Cerrone, did Justin Gaethje look good against Donald Cerrone? But in the first, first round and a half of Cerrone versus Ferguson— Ferguson was taking as much as he was given. It was his chin and his volume and his durability that allowed him to start to overwhelm Cowboys running. But at no point was he just handling him. He was taking as much abuse as he was giving him. So if you come off from a year, you're still fighting a guy who was still a lower top 10, maybe top 12 type guy, and you're coming off a year and you're you're able to win a fight against him, that's saying something. Ronda Rousey came off of a year and fought a top top person, and she got blown out. We've had other people come back after a year and fight a Thai person and get knocked out. It's not easy to do, to come back and look impressive when you have fought in a year, and we don't know you're, you're under scrutiny from legal issues, um, money issues, drama with other fighters. If he comes out and just wins, even if he ekes out a win, that's still impressive because he has not fought in a year. Donald Cerrone, Cow- Cowboy Cerrone, if nothing else, has been active. and He's been beating good fighters, maybe not great fighters, between good fighters. So if he comes out and he wins a, a contested fight, how am I gonna hate on how am I gonna hate on him for that? Robbie Lawler didn't knock him out, and Robbie Lawler was active at that point. Tony Ferguson didn't really knock him out, and Tony Ferguson reacted. Tony Ferguson had problems. The only person who walked through him was Justin Gagey. Everybody else either lost or had to go to war with him. Jorge Masvidal didn't knock him out or easy. So so for a guy coming off a year, year and a half break to come in and, and fight a top lower top ten guy and beat him. That's impressive. Now his name is going to say that's not impressive, but I guarantee you take Khabib out of the ring for a year and have him come in and fight a top guy. He won't look as dominant either. Nobody would. So, based
0: off of McGregor potentially not looking dominant, let's say he doesn't, uh, and it's, you know he can go either way. He, he can go out there. And oh, I know.
1: Start to I, know I know. I know where you're going with this, and we've had this discussion. I don't think Conor should jump into a title fighter or a big yep. fight next. His advantage, when he first came up, his advantage was he fought often. He fought a ton. He was always in shape. He was always sharp. He was always fighting a high level of opposition. Even the guys we knew he would beat were lower top 10, mid top 10 guys. He needs to fight, 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 fight. If I'm him, I fight. um, Maybe I fight Cowboy. Then maybe uh, if he wants to go to 55, fight like a Paul Felder. Whoever wins from Paul Felder or uh, Dan Hooker, whoever wins that, fight that guy. Or fight if Anthony Pettis wins his fight, fight that guy. Fight somebody else, so your timing is down, so your skills are sharp, so your conditioning is there, and you're prepared to c- take that next leap to a higher level. You can't just go from one fight, even especially if it's an easy fight. You can't just go from that fight right into a title fight. That's that's disaster. Even fighting Jorge Masvidal right after, it's disaster. Fight somebody else, get your timing, get sharp, get ready, go to the next page. Maybe fight a Wonder Boy. I, I think you beat Wonder Boy. Wonder Boy is a, beat, a, a winnable fight for him, in my opinion. Fight somebody else to, to get, get another camp underneath your belt, figure out what you did right, what you did wrong, get a chance to review, be razor sharp, come off a win, and then go for the, go for the big fight. I mean, clearly Conor is still an elite guy because he gave, even though he was dominated by Khabib, he won around. He wasn't easily, Khabib had a lot more trouble with him than he had with anybody else. So he's clearly not far off an elite. He beats Cowboy Cerrone. Maybe he's not the peak of the mountain, but he's close because Cowboy is still giving guys work. But you don't just go take these huge steps. He needs to, i say, take another two fights, then go for the title. Or take two fights and then take a I don't. You've already got money. You're going to make money with anybody. You need to get t- reps in. You need to get sharp. You need to face live bullets in live, real time.
0: So there's been four names so far, I want to say, that have been bounced around as potential McGregor opponents. Obviously, you have Khabib, you have Masvidal, you have Usmani, you have Justin Gaethje. Me, personally, I think three of those fights he loses, the the Justin Gaethje one is probably the most probable that he wins um, or the most likely that he wins out of that group. If you had to select, because he's going to fight one of those four guys next. Who do you put him unless if tony ferguson defeats um, Khabib uh who where do you put him next
1: who are the who are my options
0: you have either you have the winner of uh Khabib, tony you have kamar usman you have jorge Masvidal and you have justin Gaethje.
1: gechi that's what i would go i would go for Gaethje. Gaethje not only is a Gaethje's been talking trash the whole time, so you have a buildup. He's basically called you out, not just as a man, as a father and a fighter. Secondly, as good as Gaethje is, because Gaethje's defense isn't as terrible as people make it out. His offense isn't all chaos and nonsense. There's a science to it. I wrote an article years ago. It still rings true. The fact of the matter is, Gaethje is the kind of guy who, when you put rubber to the road, is going to engage. I don't care how technical he starts out. I understand he's going to be more technical. But when you put the rubber to the road and you crack him, Gaethje is not going to allow that to go unpunished. He, he's going to put himself in a position to get whacked, to get stopped. It's the most exciting fight. It's also a high-level fight, and it's also a fight that gives him a good chance of beating an elite guy. Because Gaethje can wrestle, but Gaethje's, Gaethje shies away from wrestling. And he said it himself. He's afraid of getting tired. He's not sure if he wants to get in those extended exchanges. It ain't getting any worse than be. So Gaethje wants to wrestle. Connor can at least defend well enough to punish him. On the feet, Gaethje's a little bit more powerful. Gaethje's probably, I can't even say he's more durable because he's been knocked out, but he's more physical. He's probably the better athlete. But the fact of the matter is when he gets going, he's been countered by everybody and none of these guys are one-tenth the counterpuncher that Conor McGregor is. If I'm Conor McGregor, I ask for Gaethje or I ask for Poirier next. Best two options. If I can't get one of those and I stay at welterweight, if Anthony Pettis wins his next fight, have Anthony P- let us move back up and fight him next. He needs to get rounds in. He needs to get resistance in. That's the only way for him to get to the point he is. I'm not saying he can't win it if he skips steps, but his best shot is being active and being razor sharp. That was the secret between him winning all the time. Jose Alda had been injured, take, not taking fights. He kind of kept fighting, kept fighting, kept fighting, kept fighting, kept fighting. And then all of a sudden he pulled it off. Same thing when uh, Anthony Joshua lost to Ruiz. Ruiz was coming off a fight. He was razor sharp, super in good shape, totally ready for the moment. That's why he won. When he didn't have all that work in his favor, he lost. And when Connor didn't have that work in his favor, he lost. That's the secret to his success, being sharp, being on edge, having something that's motivating him, whether it's fear or desire or willing, wanting to be the best. That's what separates him. Had he not lost to Nate Diaz, Eddie Alvarez would have beat him. But losing to Nate Diaz put him back on guard. Made him raise the sharp. I need to be on it to win these fights. He can't skip steps. He needs to take the long road to the title.
0: Okay. All right. Um, I agree with you there, but I don't, we know he won't. We know that that's not going to be the case. You know, we know he's going to jump right uh, to the top of the line, whether that makes sense or not. Um, I'm interested in seeing what the UFC does with him next. I'm interested in seeing how other fighters may push back. Against that uh, idea, I'm interested in They always they house. always
1: push back until they get the check, until their name is right. called. Everybody, oh, I don't want Connor moving ahead. I don't want Connor moving ahead. Oh, you've been picked by him. Well, I'm gonna shut his Irish mouth. No, if you really have dignity and you're gonna make that stand, make that. It's the same thing I said about Macy Barber. Well, call Paige Van Zandt, she's a fraud. She's not a real fighter. Then why are you calling her out then? If Connor's a if he's an Irish chicken, why are you calling the chicken out? Call the top, call the champion out. Call the top number two ranked fighter out. Why are you calling out the part-time fighter? How brave of you is that? You say it's a fraud. You say it's an act. Why are you calling him out? Because you want to get paid like everybody else. You think we don't see it, but we do. And if nobody else sees it, I'm calling it out every time. You want the money? Just be honest about it. Stop lying. This isn't a blood sport. This isn't about honor. It's about getting paid. The sooner you're honest about it, the easier our relationship's going to be.
0: That's very true, there, sir. Do me a favor. Um, your mic is rubbing up against your clothes, so, so move it a little bit, adjust it a little bit for me there. Yeah, um, got it. The I'm... last, the last question we have about McGregor uh, and Cerrone in the UFC 246 fight camp. I want to get your thoughts on John Cavanaugh's comment about McGregor knowing more about fighting than anyone in the camp. I've been listening to a couple of different responses. You know, people on Twitter have been saying what they what they want to say. There's been a couple of different podcasts talking about this and the idea of whether or not McGregor's running his own camp and how well that works. Um, the, the first two, there's probably three examples that hop out or that jump off the page to me of fighters that have run their own camp and have struggled to find success, maybe four. Tito Ortiz used to run his own camp, and Big Bear, Brock Lesnar, used to run his own camp. Um, Paige Van Zandt did when she left Team Alpha Male. And Josh Kostek, when he left AKA, all four of them started suffering defeats after they started doing their own thing with their own camps. They all had marginal success from there. Do you believe, looking at what they have going on in SBG or, or, yeah, SBG in in the fight camp in in Erland at Kavanaugh runs, do you think that, that what he's saying is true, that McGregor is probably the person that knows the most about fighting, or is this just more rhetoric to lead into the fight camp?
1: Now, I have to ask you a question. Do you want me to be frank in my answer, or do you want me to just lie? When
0: have we When have we ever not done that?
1: Okay. Well, then I will say that first stating, I don't believe anything these camps say. They're all liars. He looks his best. Oh, he's Dominating world-level wrestlers. Oh, he's knocking out world-class boxers. That's what they always say every camp. They're all lying. Fighters say that. Macy Barber's gotten so much better. That's funny. She looked the same as she did in her last fight to me. That's been Lads has been refining her skills. That's funny. She looked just as bad as she looked before to me. They always say that stuff. Very rarely is it true. Secondly, and I have, I'm only going to speak from my experience, and Everybody always skits on me because you're always bragging, Shawan. You're saying this. I'm providing context because some of y'all are just not just fans. I respect you. But some of y'all have never dealt with world-class camps before. Some of y'all have never worked with world-class fighters. I happen to have done so. So I can speak on this from a legitimate point. Some of these camps are idiot. Point blank idiot. And some of these fighters are worse. They don't, they don't, they're not students of the game They don't know what they're doing. They only know what their camp tells them. And 90% of their time, their camp is either A, lying, or B, speaking from a position of strength, which is an ineffective way to coach a fighter. You don't say, this guy can't handle my power, this guy can't handle my wrestling. Because if that guy does, and your whole plan is based on you dominating these areas and you can't dominate, your whole plan falls apart. And that's what 98% of these camps do. They don't know what they're doing. They're just going off their prior experience and what they think they know. Trust me, you, if you saw some of the stuff that these guy, guys come up with game plan, you would say, oh, my God, it, this, this guy really a – paid, a paid trainer told this person to do this. Yes, he told them not to jab. A paid trainer told a fighter a jab is worthless, don't use it. That's what you're getting paid and you're paying for hotel rooms for. Some of these guys don't know what they're doing. And it's like the guys Israel Adesanya's camp said, these guys get by on their fighter's skill set and their fighter's physical skill set. They don't actually come up with game plan. They don't actually know what they're doing. They just have the better athlete or the more skilled athlete, and that's what carries them to the win. None of the actual training they've done actually comes into 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 the fight because the minute they they don't have the better athlete or the better skill fighter, all of a sudden their guy starts losing. And if you really are coaching up a guy, you can beat your equal or you can beat your superior on a given day because you have a better approach to the fight and you have more answers to the circumstances and questions that are posed in a fight. So, one, I don't think Kavanaugh's being honest. I think he's building up Conor's ego. And part of being a, part of being a trainer or a coach is feeding the fighter's ego, making them feel invincible, making them feel smarter than everybody else. But also, a lot of these camps are not particularly great. They just aren't. And I'm not saying everybody. I'm not saying most. I'm not talking about any camp in particular. I'm just talking about my personal experience. I've seen some of the stuff they're coming up with. And I'm like, dude, have you never seen this fighter fight before? This is your game plan? Have you never seen them fight before? No, no, this, this is what we're going with. Okay, well, tomorrow when you call me and apologize, I'm not, I'm not even going to rub it in your face. Well, I'm not calling you tomorrow. Ring, ring, ring. Hey, yeah, you, you called that right. How did you know? Because I watch film. Don't you? No. What do I need to watch film for? You don't even watch film? Uh, w- excuse me? What? So, no. I-, I think it's very likely he could be smarter than a lot of camps. He might be smarter than SBG because a lot of the, ca- the coaches, from what I've seen in SBG, aren't particularly impressive. I don't know that is a great coach. I know that he manages personalities very well. I don't know that he's a particularly high-level, layered, nuanced, strategist, or technician. I don't know that. I know he's got a great athlete and a great fighter, and he directs them well, and he manages them, keeps them under control. I don't know that he coaches them particularly well. So I can't say that Conor's not the better better fighter. And a lot of fighters run their camps. It's hit or miss. It depends on how hungry the fighter is. If you're hungry as a fighter, you can run your camp and still do it if you're hungry, because hungry means you'll take whatever advice you get, you apply it correctly. When you're lazy and you think you're better than everybody, that's when your camp kicks you in the ass. Floyd Mayweather runs all his camps. He ain't lost yet because he's the kind of guy who understands what it takes and never loses his hunger. If Connor's not hungry and he thinks this is an easy fight, he's going to lose. If he comes out and looks amazing because he's taking it seriously and understands the point of his career he's in, it's, it, 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 it depends on the fighter and it depends on their, their focus and their desire on how much running your own camp will hinder you. It's always going to hinder you because you're not old, some guys aren't honest with themselves. But if you're really hungry and you're honest with yourself, you can manage it. A lot of fighters do. We just don't know about it because they would never humiliate their coach by saying it.
0: True, true there. So uh, that is some great insight heading into. Okay, so now we're going to start talking about round two from episode 147 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. And I just want to sit down with Shawana and talk about some of the News uh, stories that are going around in in MMA from this past week, actually back to a couple last week, to some fight announcements that were made, some new signings. Just kind of dabble around in some of those stories and just kind of throw out some ideas and some insight on those pieces. Um, The first one I wanted to talk about was Roy McDonald, a former UFC title challenger, former Bellator champion. He has decided to sign with Professional Fighting League PFL, and this is coming after PFL did their second uh, season finale on I think it was on New Year's or new, the day after New Year's, where they're handing out million dollar checks. And we've seen a couple of other fighters decide to run their opportunity at PFL and see what happens. You know, Kayla Harrison, she won a tournament, she won a million dollars. Did she really Palmer win a
1: tournament, me. or did she win a setup, but a series I'll, of setup fights?
0: She she got a big ass check that says she got a million dollars.
1: Um okay.
0: Lance Lance Palmer, he won uh his the tournament for the second time around, getting a million dollars there as well. So now we see McDonald's stepping in. And what are your thoughts about the signing there for him? Um I think uh Roy Cooper the third won the welterweight division and he took home the million dollar tournament check uh this time around. But what what do you think about Roy McDonald stepping into the PFL at this stage of his career?
1: Well, I think it's a good mat, a good thing because I mean it'll be another organization that he can show that he's a high ranked fighter in it's a good position because you know who you're fighting. there's none of this last second bring a guy in you don't know who you, you don't know who you're fighting, but there's kind of a chain of command in the fight so you understand who the field is, you understand when you're fighting, you understand more or less who you're fighting, so you can kind of prepare in a professional manner, as we know in mixed martial arts. whoever's the hottest guy might be the guy getting thrown at you it, and sometimes you know, somebody gets injured, you have no idea who they're going to pull in. They could pull in a guy from the top five. They could pull in somebody who's number 13. Whoever will take the fight, that's who they're going with. So it's very hard to prepare. It's very hard to protect yourself. It's very hard to be a professional in a sport that seems to thrive on a lack of professionalism. Lastly, it's on ESPN. So he's still on a big format. So any, name, any cachet he has as a fighter, any fans he's had as a fighter, they don't have to look for him. You have to look for him on Bellator. You don't have to look for him on the World Series of PFL. Just go to ESPN. So it's a win-win because he's going to get paid very well. Whether he wins the tournament or not, you know he's getting paid. He's g- dealing with fighters he knows that may be athletic, they may be talented, but all of them are hugely, hugely, hugely underdeveloped and lack experience at a world-class level. So he's got that advantage. And finally, he's on a big platform that's going to allow him to, if not build his brand, maintain his brand. Because Because ESPN is going to market the hell out of him. Former Bellator champion, former, former UFC challenger, former GSP associate, Rory McDonald. This is like a huge signing for them to have a guy who is currently considered a top 10, probably a top 10 welterweight, even as we stand now. Even though he didn't look great in that loss of Lima, Lima's considered a top 10 levy like, uh, welterweight in MMA. So he's still considered... So it's their first elite fighter who's somewhat close to in his prime that they had under their banner. So it's a win-win all around.
0: Do you think he is the odds-on favorite to win a tournament now?
1: Um, outside of the possibility of him being... him being not durable, I don't see how you... I, I don't see how you can even question it. I mean, John Fitch is pretty much better than anybody else in that tournament. Diego Lima is pretty much better than anybody in that tournament even the, the Gracie he fought for the most part is probably would probably be in Neiman. the top yeah Neiman he'd probably be in the higher levels of the tournament all the guys he's fought Paul Daly would be one of the, would be a favorite in that tournament every guy he's lost to or beaten would be a favorite in this tournament so it, it's like I said as far as skill he's got a better skill set He's got more experience. And though he's got a lot of wear and tear on his body, the fact of the matter is he, he's so far ahead of these guys in terms of their functionality, their mental preparation, their technical preparation, and what they face in a cage. A lot of these guys haven't faced a guy with a plan B. They haven't faced a guy who can control a pace. They don't have to face a guy who they can't just overwhelm or break down with pressure. Unless Rory is physically shot, that's not going to happen. I mean, the only guy who's really made him look bad is Gegard Mousasi. And Musasi would pretty much run the light heavyweight and middleweight division in the in the pro fighters league.
0: True, true. Uh, the next news bit that I wanted to talk about from this week is the announcement of a fight that's been or that's looking to be booked. And I don't I don't think it's been 100 percent announced yet between Jeremy Stevens and Calvin Cater. They're looking at this for UFC 248, two men who are coming off of a loss uh, with Stevens being the elder states elder statesman and Cater being that younger um, competitor that's still looking. I mean, he's 31. He's not that much younger than Stevens, who is 33, but he's the newer name. What do you think about this fight? Does this intrigue you right out the gate, uh, or is this an opportunity that I think that Cater should, should uh, take advantage of and be able to kind of bounce back to stay relevant at 145?
1: It's both. I mean it's a fight it's a fight that favors both guys because it's a it's a fight between ranked guys. It should be an exciting fight for however long it lasts. And whoever wins this fight will, if not maintain their position, should move up. The thing about it that's c- concerning for Jeremy Stevens is he has a problem with two things. Guys who can move and guys who have good defense. Usually every time he fights a guy who's got good footwork and good defense, he generally loses. He is he is he is just not a very good technical striker. And he's actually gotten better. But I've never seen him really put combinations together. He doesn't really set up his shots very well. He doesn't really faint. He's not very good at defensive maneuvers. He's not good at really countering. He's kind of a... I have huge moments of offense. And in those huge moments of offense, I do a lot of damage and essentially win fights or turn fights around. But as far as when he can't dictate when exchanges happen or control how long the exchanges are... He generally gets boxed up, boxed up and broken down. He's facing Cater, who's got a great jab, good footwork, good feints, good defense. That's usually kryptonite for Jeremy Stevens. So if Jeremy Stevens wins this fight, that shows me something different. That's something I've never seen from him, beating a, a, a poised, disciplined, defensively responsible fighter. I haven't seen that happen. So if he beats this guy, that shows me something. Jeremy Stevens has grown. Maybe Jeremy Stevens has finally figured it out. He's figured it out on the downside of his physical abilities, but he's still figured it out. Most likely, it's going to be Cater outboxing him. Jeremy Stevens getting desperate, maybe winning around, maybe winning around on the way to getting knocked out. I really favor Cater in this because he's just got the better skill set. This is a matchup that's constantly caused Stevens trouble. Of course, Stevens has the power, his overrated power too. It's more because he loads up than he actually just has dynamic power. But he's always capable of finishing a fight or turning a fight and putting himself in position to win. But from a technical stand-up, and from a point of who's the fresher fighter, and who's the fighter who's showing more skill sets, a more a wider array of skill sets, it, it seems to be Cater, and I would expect Cater to win. If if Stevens won, it wouldn't shock me, but I would be impressed because generally he loses these type of fights pretty embarrassing, pretty in pretty embarrassing fashion.
0: True, true. Okay. So in light of fight announcements, this fight announcement that came out in uh, I think. Towards the end of December, maybe maybe last week. I'm not, I don't even really remember, man. The last two weeks kind of been a blur. I haven't been working, haven't been doing anything. But we got a fight announcement where Damien Maya and Gilbert Burns are fighting at UFC Brasilia in March. I think it's like March 14th or something like that. I cheered when I saw this fight announcement be made because there's two guys that can grapple their asses off. You have Damien Maya, who's uh, pretty much considered the best jujitsu player in mixed martial arts. I he's considered that, but I think that there are some other men and women who can be a part of that conversation. If just people. Isn't Gary Conan
1: the best? Well.
0: Mm, d- the reason why Damian Maya is, is, is widely considered the best is because he's won um, in ADCC. He won in 20, 2007, and he placed second in 2005. Gary Toonin just actually earned a bronze in ADCC, so that's his first one that he's ever um, won. But you have um, Rodolfo Vieira, who's actually fighting at USC 248 as well. Um, Michelle Nicolini, she's an ADCC champion. Um Mackenzie Dern is the ADCC champion. Uh, Gilbert Burns, he got bronze in ADCC as well, too. So there's a lot of high, high high-level jiu-jitsu in MMA. People just know Damian Maya just from what he's been able to do for so long. I think Radum is the ADCC champion as well, too. So there's a lot of guys out there who have the name value when it comes to grappling. But Maya is pretty much considered the best just because he has that name value. But as I said— One time, I
1: was the U of H Grappling Club champion. Is that better than ADCC?
0: Absolutely not, sir. That is, I will say, <laughs> that's akin to you maybe taking down one of your daughters right now and uh, potentially uh, submitting her. That's how far beyond the ADCC is uh, between anything else that any. They're are very have good athletes. Ever they're done. very good athletes. They they know how to grapple a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit.
1: But they're this better is than a fight who's, that that really... who's that girl at forty five? Megan Anderson. All my kids have better grappling defense than Megan Anderson. I will guarantee you that. Definitely.
0: Definitely. And this fight right here jumped off the page to me because I know you, we know Gilbert Burns isn't going to be afraid to play a grappling game with um,
1: David. Do we know that though?
0: I think he's not going to be afraid to play that game. I mean, this is a guy who was willing to play the leg lock game with with Gary Tunin when they faced off at Polaris. uh, I think it was maybe two years ago. Now he lost that game and Gary Tunin did end up leg locking him, but he's still willing to play that game. I mean, he just did they did the, the Quintet event, the Quintet Ultra event, um a couple maybe like last month. And he carried the team on his back to victory. I mean he dominated Jake Shields at uh in in the in the final match of the night as well too. So you and we know this guy can get out there and we know he, he can grapple. Me, I'm excited about this fight because I think it's gonna look different. I think they're they may strike a little bit, but I think we're going to see these two guys go down go down to the ground. We're going to get to see some real work. What are your thoughts about uh, a fight between Maya and Gilbert Burns at 170?
1: I don't think Gilbert Burns is afraid of him. I just don't think Gilbert Burns is going to give him the fight that makes it, gives him a chance of winning. I'm not saying Gilbert Burns can't submit him. I'm not saying he can't take him down the ground and pound him. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm just saying... What- why would you give a guy a fight that he has the best chance of winning? Why would you engage in him when you don't necessarily have to? If Maya can put me on the ground, then yeah, I might work on that. Or maybe I guess if he takes it down, because I haven't seen Maya work a tremendous guard game. Usually when he gets taken down, he kind of with guys who, who've got experience or some control, they can usually ride him out a little bit. But why would I even? I, he's a guy who's in his forties, who's not a good, who's not a good striker, who who's good at pressuring and and has a certain amount of defensive acumen, but when you start getting into exchanges or you start putting shots together, Maya's defense does not generally hold up. He's not a plus athlete. He never was, and he for sure isn't now. So it's kind of like, why wouldn't you just take the easy road? If Maya can get me down, if he can put me in these bad positions, then yeah, sure, sure I'll I'll engage with them and, and I'll counter him, and I'll, and I'll engage on my terms. But otherwise, why would I give Maya the fight he wants when, in theory, Maya shouldn't have anything for Gilbert Burns on the feet? Gilbert Burns should be able to take him down, pound him out real quick, get back up. He should be able to put a jab on him, leg kick him, put some combinations together. Now, he might choose to engage him just like, um, what was his name, Gunnar Nelson did, just like Jake Shields did, just like Ben Askren did. But that would give Maya a chance to win. That would give Maya a chance to if you put Maya in a 3 round grappling fest or 5 round grappling fest he's not going to really get tired he's not going to really get punished and you're going to have him in a, in a comfort zone whether you're better than him or not he's going to be comfortable the whole fight throughout why would you allow him to be comfortable why would you allow him to be in a position of power
0: and my my thought about that is is I wonder if this fight is going to look similar to when Jake Shields and Damian and I fought, because remember there were a lot of scrambles there where Jake Shields was able to do enough and hold position enough to get the mm-hmm. win there. But my question before I point that out is, is if Gilbert Burns has the size that Jake Shields had over my I think that that's the, that's the key difference when wondering if this fight is going to play out the same way.
1: Well, yeah, that, and then also, once again, I, I, and I don't know that Maya can handle scrambles at this point anymore. I mean, to be quite honest, I don't know that Maya has the conditioning or the youth. I He can handle one or two, but I don't know that he can handle two, three, four scrambles. I don't know that he can handle a position where he can't clearly dominate on the ground. I mean, most people are afraid to engage Maya. When he gets his hands on him, he kind of dictates pace, he dictates where the fight goes. He's got people on the defensive. I don't know that he can keep Gilbert Burns on the defensive the whole time. How long has it been since Gilbert, Damian Maya's had to defend a submission? How many times has Damian Maya had to worry about someone submitting him or putting him in a position or putting pressure on him? I don't know when the last time that's been. So Damian Maya may not hold up under those circumstances. Once again, the only reason I say why take him to the ground is because whether you're better than him or not, whether he's older, whether he's not, that's the place he's strongest in. That's the place he's most comfortable in. That's the place he's least likely to expose himself or least likely to get tired in. Mm -hmm. So... So why even give him the chance when you could kind of put a combination together and put him away? You can't get wild. You can't get... Or then again, maybe Gilbert Burns can get crazy because he knows he has enough defensive skills and enough, enough submission skills. But if he gets taken down, he can get back up. If he gets taken down, he can work his way out of bad position. If he gets taken down, maybe he can threaten Damian Maya with a sub. Most guys know they, they don't have any chance of submitting Damian Maia, so they get really disciplined in how they fight him, and they don't take any chances because they're so fearful. Gilbert Burns might not have that fear. That might work for him, it might work against them.
0: True, true. Um, the last news bit I wanted to talk about today is not an, an announced fight, but it's Ryan Hall. He's out here calling out anybody that he potentially can. <clears throat> and he mentioned Jose Aldo and Frankie Edgar. Now, that jumped off the page to me. Um, I think those are two interesting fights to uh, even kind of really kind of throw out there. I think Hall is ranked at number 14 and Aldo is at four in featherweight and Edgar's at six, I believe right now. So what are your thoughts about this here? Um, Do you think that would happen? I mean, both of these guys are both down at 135 now. And if you had to book a fight for Ryan Hall, who would you put him against? My vote out the gate would be um, Cron Gracie, but that's neither here nor there because I do think Hall is at the point where he deserves a ranked opponent.
1: Well, the big thing about Hall is, once again, he's a martial artist, and this isn't very martial art in its approach to it. He wants to get fights, and he wants fights with guys who excite him and guys who create interest. So, in a sense, in a roundabout way, he's about money. He's about establishing himself as well, because the fact of the matter, he's calling out guys who who, who not counting the losing streaks, they're just names. And, and Tranky Edgar hasn't been one of the best in the world in a little bit, in my opinion. And um, Jose Aldo, while he's still one of the best in the world, he's nowhere near the guy he used to be. So you're, you're wanting to fight a guy who's been knocked out a couple times and is essentially on a two-fight losing streak? That's the guy you want to challenge? That doesn't sound like a very honorable, a warrior-type thing to do. Not calling into question his character, I'm just saying it doesn't seem that way. Um, I guess Frankie Edgar would be the best fight because his chin isn't there anymore. And Ryan Hall's long-range kind of traditional martial arts type style of kicking to the body and kicking to the head, he might be able to extend the fight and um, maybe catch Frankie or at least hold him off at bay where it's not a fight that he has to get into any exchanges or any scrambles in. I don't know how comfortable Frankie is taking his chances with Ryan Hall on the ground. Against Jose Aldo, I just don't, even in this version of Aldo, I don't see how he beats him. I mean, Aldo's a striker. He's, very, he's still athletic in spots. I feel he could find a way to counter Paul and just chop him up, chop him up and stay a distance for the majority of the fight um, to win a decision. It wouldn't be an exciting one. It wouldn't be a pretty one. But I feel that he's got enough defensive takedowns, defensive awareness from submissions, and quite frankly, his defensive footwork in the feints are enough that I think he can control the fight and just win a boring, ugly fight. But that's why nobody wants to fight Hall. You lose to him, it's a huge step back for you. And even if you beat him, it's not the kind of fight that people are going to remember or think well of you for.
0: True. I um I think Ryan Hall is an interesting challenge. He has come out and started naming names of some people that have been turning down fights when um pitched against him. So I do think he well, is what's a in it for them though? People- that's what I was about to say. He is a puzzle that people don't want to try to figure out because it's not that he can't be figured out, but it's something that you have to go to the lab and almost change your game to figure out how to fight him and how to defeat him, how to how to defeat him long enough to get a decision. Or I mean, because he's not gonna let you hit him with anything big that puts him out. Um, and the minute you get close enough to get your hands on him he's going to the ground and he's playing in his guard. So you got to know how to win points against him. But that that's going to require someone to really change their well, game that, and be that's able why to I said, um,
1: defeat him. That's why I said Aldo would be a problem because Aldo can stay off his – be on his back foot and just make him come to him. He's not going to catch Aldo with the little switch kick. kick. That, that's not going to do it. That ain't going to get – that works against Gray Maynard because Gray Maynard can't strike. That works against uh, some of the other guys because they don't – a faded BJ Penn, some of these other guys who don't have any striking pedigree, who don't know how to manage distance, don't know how to apply pressure, don't know how to counter, don't know, understand spacing. So many guys are still such terrible defensive strikers and such terrible strikers overall that he can exploit that and just chop them up and either they have to force takedowns or just stay up, stay on the feet and get chopped, chopped away at. Jose Aldo is not going to get chopped away. He can, he'll just parry, slip, parry, slip, parry, slip, and if nobody lands anything, the fight's going to go in Jose's favor. He's a bigger name. He's a more established fighter. It doesn't matter if he doesn't do anything. If he didn't do anything and Ryan Hall doesn't do anything, it's going to Jose Aldo. He would have to take chances to get to Jose Aldo. Because Jose Aldo mm-hmm. is defensively aware and has enough wrestling to defend. Even if he gets in a position, Jose Aldo is gonna try to punish you. He's gonna punish you before he escapes. He's not just gonna hang on and, and, and seek to run away. I think he's got enough skill and he'd make it hard enough for Ryan to get to the spots he needs to get in to tempt those takedowns, those rolls, barrel rolls to get to the takedowns and Mario rolls. Even to get in position to jump guard, I think Jose Aldo fighting off the back foot, using the jab and feints, controls the pace and kind of just picks him apart. And even if he doesn't land anything big, all he has to land is one or two shots. He wins around. round. Ryan Hall's going to actually have to do something dramatic to get a win over someone like a Jose Aldo. Frankie Edgar, on the other hand, I think he was a little bit more vulnerable and has a few less tools to work with. He's a more of a risk to getting beat by Hall. But once again, why would he take that fight? There's nothing in, in it for him. The same reason Ryan Hall won't fight guys ranked below him because there's nothing in it for him. I mean, it's not about honor. It's not about fighting. It's about moving ahead, and he's trying to call out names so he can move ahead. But there's nothing in it for them. Beating Ryan Hall does nothing for Frank Yeager. It does nothing for Jose Aldo.
0: Very true there, sir. I agree with that, and as much as i want to see Ryan Hall fight, I can totally agree with that, with that thought there. So let's use this as an opportunity to move into round number three, where I want to sit down with you and talk to you about 2019, you know, the, the year is behind us, and we can have the opportunity to kind of look back and, and point out some of the bigger moments from 2019. And I just want to talk about three, uh, three little topics, Fighter of the year, fight of the year and story of the year. And I want to get your thoughts on this Schwab. for my fighter of the year for 2019. I want to go with Israel Adesanya. He fought three times in 2019, defeating Robert Whitaker, Anderson Silva, and Kelvin Gastelum. And I think from a, both in the cage and out of the cage standpoint, he did the most to further his career. Um, and I, I, becoming an actual champion, that's why I did not pick Jorge Masvidal, because the BMF title is is what it is. But, you know, um, Israel Adesanya has become an actual champion, and he's become someone who can be looked at as a figure within um, New Zealand and and Australia. They can book a whole card around him now. I think that they will in the near future. What are your thoughts on the 2019 Fighter of the Year? Who would you pick and and why?
1: Um, I'd probably have to say Israel. It would be a tie between him and maybe, uh, if, I, if I'm if i recalling the timing right, maybe Amanda Nunez, just because of her wins over home and her wins over Cyborg. I think that was the same calendar year. No, she Cyborg the, was in December last year.
0: December okay, 2018. Okay.
1: okay, then, yeah, then I'd have to go strictly with Adesanya. I know Masvidal had a big year, but Ben Askren hadn't really accomplished a whole lot in the UFC, um, beating up Darren Till while it was a dynamic and great win. He's on the streak, and he's got a kind of name behind him. Um, it, it the level of opposition and the importance of the wins doesn't match to what Israel Adesanya did. He beat the former champion. He beat Kelvin Gastelum, who was a top three or four fighter. He beat Anderson Silva. He basically, in this year span, fought an ascending level of fighter, and every single time he fought him, he, he looked more and more impressive, regardless of the style, regardless of the skill set, regardless of the age. And that's something you just can't ignore. And the fact, like you said, he's fighting for a country and then he's also fighting for another group of people being f- of his, his actual background of his ethnicity so it's like he's covering a lot of bases and he's representing a lot of different um, cultures a lot of different backgrounds a lot of different ethnicities and he's doing so in a manner that's pretty original in, in a sense right? from the perspective of fighting of a guy who's coming with his limited amount of experience in mixed martial arts who's really taken on all comers and done so in a more impressive, impressive fashion each and every fight. I mean, I don't. I don't know how you can. I. I don't. I don't know who else you could pick over. Jorge Masvidal pro- probably has the best argument, but his argument is pretty weak when you actually look at who he beat and um, what it meant for the division.
0: Okay. All right. The next thing I want to talk about is fight of the year. Now I am want to stay with the same guy because um, Israel Adesanya versus uh, Kelvin Gastelum was my fight of 2019 for so many different reasons. This just for so much. That was taken out of these guys and what they both had to overcome. I think this may be a fight when we look back at it. I mean, Kelvin Gastelum may not look the same going forward. He didn't look the same against uh, Darren Till uh, when he lost that fight at UFC 246, I believe, or 236, whatever that number was, with um, Masvidal and Diaz. But... That is my fight of the year. Those two guys put it all, all on the line, and it was a showcase opportunity where um, Adesanya really rose to the occasion.
1: Yeah, um, I wasn't the biggest fan of the fight when it was made, but the Kelvin's willingness to engage is really what separated them. A lot of guys could get to Adesanya if they're willing to bite down and walk through fire. The fact of the matter is most people are not willing to walk through fire to get, get to, to do the damage necessary to put themselves in position to do the damage that he did. And he was willing to basically be tortured and punished and have his career shortened to have a chance at that title. I wouldn't say it's the most technical fight. Strategically it was very interesting as far as the minor adjustments it was very interesting. And, and, and in this case, you could, you could actually, there's title fights you see guys fight and you're like, I don't feel anybody really wanted it. I felt like, one person showed their class, one person showed their professionalism, but I don't feel like it was a life or death. They really would have did anything to, to, to get that win. And in the case of Gaslam, he really was willing to take each and every aspect of punishment that Adesanya gave him. And for the first time, Adesanya had to really take abuse. He took some shots against, against from Anderson. He took a couple shots here and there, but he never really had to. He was never put in a position where he could lose, where he could quit where he'd be within his rights not to get up or not to come back. And he really showed that he wanted to be a champion and he really showed that he had a fighter's heart and a fighter's character because he took a lot, a lot, a lot of punishment and he had to persevere. So it was a a fight where both guys were the hammer and both guys were the nail and both guys came back from bad spots and and continued to press on. And that's what I think really separated. You felt the hunger between those guys. Everybody took each other's best shot and kept coming. And most fights, even the highly contested fights we had, once somebody landed their best shot, the fight was essentially decided. And this fight really wasn't decided until it, until it was over.
0: What are
1: some um, honorable mentions for you? Um, the Rose um jessica Andrade fight, I think, even though it was fairly one-sided until it ended... Just seeing Rose come out in a manner you haven't really... You you rarely see Rose come out gunning like that. Like, Rose was looking for the knockout. Rose was looking to punish her. And then to see the fight just turn so so dramatically so quickly. I mean, he, she's winning, she's winning. It's a little bit close, a little bit more competitive. Josh made a slight adjustment and the next thing you know, it's literally over. Rose made one mistake, held on too long and the fight was over and the most... It was, I guess, the most... I want to say it's unpredictable but given who she was fighting and and her style of kind of just cavemanning women, it was pretty predictable. But it was a, it was still a spectacular win and a spectacular way to finish a fighter. I, I think that, that has some precedent for being fight of the year. True.
0: Now, I want to talk about the story of the year in 2019. And while he did not uh, get selected for fighter of the year, I do think Jorge, the rise of Jorge Masvidal is probably the story of 2019. Because if you look at what his career trajectory was, he looked like someone that was always going to be like in that contention-type area, but would never get over the hump, especially with that loss that he took to Al Iaquinta. That's always like a standout loss to me when it comes to all. But he had a year this year where he stopped um, three guys. He stopped Till, he stopped Diaz, and he stopped Askarin. And while those may not be huge, huge, huge fights from a, a contendership standpoint. They're the type of fights that put you, have put him in a position to make more money than he's probably had at any other point in, in his career. And you see professional wrestlers talking about him now. You see uh, the people that were in the crowd at UFC 246 or two whatever that number was. You see The Rock wanting to, to deal with him, The Rock wanting to be there, put the title around his waist. You see so many different doors being opened up for him now, that I think that he has put himself in a position that if he capitalizes on this moment um, and makes the, makes the most of matchmaking for him in the next two to three years, we could be looking at someone that has crossover appeal when it comes to um, being just more than an MMA star.
1: Yeah, the, 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 big, the I agree with you on this, but the main reason I agree with you is a little bit different. A lot of fighters always blame the UFC for why they can't get bigger. Amanda Nunes has been done a disservice. Even though she's fought on multiple big cards and fought all all the most popular names in women's mixed martial arts, the UFC is the reason why nobody likes her. She fought Ronda. She fought Misha. She fought Holly. She fought uh, Cyborg almost one after the other. And even though she was headlining cards and fighting the most popular fighters, it's the UFC's fault she's not popular. Uh, Mighty Mouse. He's excellent. He's class personified. He's the best fighter of all time, yada, yada, yada. But the reason he's not popular is because the UFC won't let him be popular. Guys like Derek Lewis have proven that's not true. And once again, Jorge Masvidal has proven that is not true. Nobody cared about Jorge Masvidal. The UFC didn't care when he got signed. Nobody cared when he got signed. He was always the B-side in almost every single fight he's been in. In all these fights that turned his career around... He was still the B-side. B-side against Darren Till. Till was supposed to win that. B-side against Askren. Askren was supposed to win that. B-side against Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz was supposed to win that. He has not been the A-side in any one fight, but he single-handedly turned himself into an A-side fighter by showing some charisma, being open to, the, open to any and every possible interview or any platform made available, and by winning fights. All these guys keep telling me how the use these, holding me back. I can't get any opportunities. I can't get in interviews. How are you not getting interviews? Are you not getting them or are you, not, are you turning them down because you want to train? Are you not getting them because – or are you, not, are you turning them down because it's not your style, you don't have time, you want to spend family time? That's all well and great. But to be a star, to be a name fighter, you have to do more than just win fights. You have to put yourself out there. You have to treat – building your brand the same way you treat as fighting. And most of these fighters refuse to do it. They don't want to do it. They hear him complaining. I have to answer this stupid question again. Answer the question and get a new fan, and, and better yet, answer the question in a funny way so that we find some charm and humor in what you're doing so that more people will like you and we'll see a different side of you. No, I just don't want to answer this stupid question. It's a dumb question I've answered a million times. You don't think Jorge Masvidal has been answered the same question a bunch of times? But he knows better. He knows to show his charm show his charisma, show his sense of humor, and instead of looking at it as an obstacle, he looked at it as an opportunity, and he single-handedly turned his whole image, uh, position in the sport, and positioning the UFC around just by taking advantage of opportunities presented to him instead of whining and crying about all the opportunities he missed and how they keep asking him dumb questions and he has to go on to these stupid shows that I just want to train. No, that's not how it works you want to be a star. You got to do it all. These guys don't want to pay the price to be a star. And if you're willing to pay the price and you're willing to put on an act and you're willing to play up your characteristics a little more and you're even the slightest bit interesting, you too could be a Jorge Bass at all. Last year, it was Derek Lewis who was on everybody's news doing the same thing. These fighters make excuses for why they're not popular. They make excuses for why they can't get paid. They make excuses for why they don't get over with the average fan. Well, the average fan is stupid. No, you're just boring. You're boring and you're lazy. You don't want to be away from your family. You don't want to break training. You don't want to inconvenience yourself dealing with people who aren't real fans of the sport. Like, that matters, dude. Do You want to get paid or not. He decided to make a decision, and it paid off for him. And he once again has made a fool of all these people who say, you can't be a star because the UFC won't let you. Derek Lewis was a star last year. And don't nobody care about heavyweights. He didn't fight the biggest draw in the sport, one of the biggest draws in his sport, but Holly, but Amanda Nunes fought three of them, and she still no, and still nobody cares about what she's doing. It's not the UFC's fault; they don't care. Some of this has to fall on you. And Jorge Masvidal proved that point again. The same point I keep telling people: you want it, you make the sacrifices, you will get it. He wanted it; he made the sacrifices; he got it. That's that's, that's what awesome. the story is. He turned his he, he wrote his own narrative.
0: Good thoughts, sir, sir. Good thoughts. Um, so I want to use this opportunity to segue into the closing of, of the show. Some final thoughts. Um, let everybody know what you are working on this week and where they can find your content, sir.
1: Um, you can always find my content. Mostly I've just been on Twitter. I've been writing a lot, but I just haven't been able to get anything down, mostly because this training thing is really kind of just taking up a lot of time. I know nobody cares because it's basketball, but I – Was able to get three kids on varsity. I got kids, like, doing better. It's kind of a cool feeling helping people out. I like it and make some money at it. So it just takes a lot of my time up. And that's when I'm not helping fighters, whether it's boxers, MMA fighters, actually, like, go over scouting stuff. It's just very hard to find time to sit down there and and type the way I want to and write the way I want to. But I am working on this Green Arrow part. I think it's going to be two parts, and it's going to be coming out, I think, next week and the week after for the finale the second to last episode of Arrow and the final episode of Arrow. And Honor of the Green Arrow, kind of breaking down his weapons, his approach to fighting, and some of the techniques he used, similar to my Captain America piece. And then I'll probably so, try to get back in the habit of kind of writing my usual scathing articles about fighters and hoping nobody shows up in my house trying to fight me.
0: True, true that, true that. So, as I said, you know, we're going to continue making changes to this show. So, be. Um, aware uh, and keep a close eye on our content and just kind of keep a eye out on what we're doing here so as always thank you for checking out the MMA ratings podcast you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MMA ratings net you can catch us on um, YouTube at the MMA ratings um, YouTube channel we're also on anchor which manages our uh, uploads across Spotify and other platforms so check us out there as well and we'll be back on Tuesday of next week to talk more uh, MMA and do our UFC 246 preview um, my wrestling podcast Let's Talk Wrestling will be moving to Thursdays and I'll also be doing special shows um, after major PPV pay-per-views on uh, Sundays so as always thank you for taking the time to check us out and we'll be back next week and um, have a great weekend everyone
1: have a great weekend week excuse me